0: a special church for us, of course. Last year, you baptized Dane in the ocean. The Lord spoke to her and said, I want to be baptized in the ocean, and you guys did a great job. And we go back to that spot with thankfulness. A bit like our home church in Florida. You give me a tricky topic, though. Man, uh, James 5 about money. I don't know what your attitude to money is. I I want to test it out. Someone give me 20 or 50 bucks, quickly. (laughs) Come on, come on. I don't much time. There's a brother. He's a trusting man. There you go. How has she got? Five, five. come on, you can do better than five, man. Yeah, take it off. Yeah, man, no, no. All right. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll test you out. I'll just take five because you look like you need it, but. I'm just testing your attitude to money. It's a bit dirty. I'm going to wash it off. Oh, man. Alright, what I thought I'd do, I, wanna, I want you to watch his brother's face. And it's a shame he only gave me a small bill, because he's not as worried as he should be, but I thought I'd just burn it. When it I wa- washed it off, we'll see if we can set it on fire here. I still got it. What a relief, did you see the relief come on his face? For a minute, he thought it was gone. Uh, well, no, brother, I couldn't possibly do that. I, I only go... I, hey, I, I'm after the big ones. <laughs> Joking apart, it is important. It, it is attention, isn't it? This whole business of uh, money and an attitude to it, and that's exactly what James talks about. And it is a challenging passage. But I've got to tell you, take this passage seriously because it talks about tragic, eternal consequences predicted if you misuse money or acquire ill-gotten gains. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, verse 1 says, listen, you rich people. You're thinking, hey, I'm off the hook. I mean, listen, you rich people, that's certainly not me you you're probably saying, I just get by on what I make. I mean, I, I agree, those rich people, they really should pay attention to the warnings of this passage. I want to tell you something. On a global scale, we're all rich here this morning. You've got to, If you're an ordinary worker in the United States earning an average income, I don't know, you may have around $40,000 a year to be a steward of. But if you have some income like 40000 I've got to say, that puts you in the top 1.9% of the world's population. In fact, uh, if you look at the global average, you're a very, very rich person. And suppose you give 10% of your income away, you'd still be in the richest 2.5% of the world's population. So listen, we're all on the hook. Don't think this passage applies to someone else. Now, James actually addresses some attitudes here. He's, he's really talking about covetousness in all its forms. And, and I want to tell you, it has little to do with the amount of money of God. However much money you have, you have the attitude to deal with. And he talks about four problems. He talks about hoarding money. He talks about this honest, dishonest paying others, exploiting He talks about a self-indulgent, luxury-focused life. And he talks about using the power of wealth to harm others. Four problems we've got to address, so we've got to move on with this. Um, Every one of those he talks about. uh, And they're not only problems if they have a large bank account. I, I know substantial riches have special temptations. But what James is talking about is our motive and the spirit in which we do things. So we've got to get into this, but I do need to say, before I do those four specific things that James does, something about the Bible talks in general about how to handle money. And I've got to talk about that before we get to these four specific sins. Because you've got to understand the balance of the Bible's teaching. The first question, of course, is it wrong to be rich? Sometimes people misunderstand the the Bible. You've got to be clear. While it's warning us here of the danger of riches, it's stressing the snares that riches can bring. There's no aspersion cast on riches per se. Being rich is not wrong in itself. Some people misunderstand this passage as if James was going a blanket condemnation of the wealthy, but he isn't. I mean, James, the half-brother of the Lord, knew the Old Testament well. He knew what Solomon wrote. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. In fact, uh, next week you've asked me to do the rest of the chapter, the next section of the chapter, where James mentions Job. Job. That's next week's passage, but what you need to see this morning is that the Lord finally brought about something in Job's life. At the end, Job 42.10, the Lord restored Job's losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So so Job joined the super-rich, and God did it. So, of course, riches could be an expression of God's blessing, but... You've got to be very, very careful. And so I want you to be careful particularly about embracing that prosperity gospel that's promoted by some big-time TV preachers. You, you turn the TV on and, uh, and you hear about you know, the wealth that God's going to give. Uh, and the Western church uh, particularly in America, I have to say, is uh, I'm a Canadian, came from Britain, as you can tell from my accent. But I think we're plagued with this kind of materialistic teaching, uh, and you find that the churches often have many pampered bodies that are home for hot, starved souls, because this health and wealth prosperity gospel, it's still proclaimed. In fact, it's spreading to Africa and, and other parts of the developing world. But it's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, tonight. We're only doing James in the morning, as you've asked me to do tonight. I'm going to talk about the seven churches in Revelation. And one of them, Smyrna, they were very faithful people, but materially poor. And Jesus said, you're very poor, but you're rich. So James is not saying it's wrong to be rich, but he is warning us that our material resources are a trust from God, and the main thing is we're accountable to the Lord for how we use our money. You know, I was once given a lottery ticket as a present, and I'm thinking, I hope this doesn't win because of all the extra responsibility that winning this great prize would bring because I was already very, very busy, but happy. Unfortunately, I didn't win. But now, let's, let's just get to one key scripture as I do this general stuff. It's 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 is a key passage on riches and they're not denounced. Nowhere is as being rich denounced, but there's a warning about the snare of riches. 1 Timothy 6, 9, Those who desire to be rich, think about yourself, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Because, and notice this much misunderstood verse, the love of money, not money, but a love of money is the rule of all evil. The reality is of course that you can apply this both to the rich and the poor if you're really poor this morning remember this, it's possible to love money without having it and to have it without loving it that's very important, let me say it again it's possible to love money without having it and to have it without loving it it's the love of money that's the problem I came across the internet. You know, when I, was, when I got to Canada, my daughter called me and said, Revenue Canada sent you a letter. I said, you better email it to me quick. And they wanted another 1,500 bucks for my poor preacher. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought of this cartoon, the internal revenue guy says, what's this I hear about you laying up treasures in heaven? <laughs> They'd go for it if they could. But Jesus said, In Matthew 6.21, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And certainly my heart's nowhere near Revenue Canada. That tax grabbing bunch. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. (laughs) You know how I feel about that. But this is an important passage. The secret of joy is stress. Very simply, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And what this passage teaches, actually, is having food and clothing ought to be enough Uh, and as Jesus said where your treasure is your heart is I want to tell you about a guy that lives in Hamilton this guy in the blue shirt is called Michael DeGroat he came as a poor immigrant from Holland uh, uh, formed a transportation company a waste disposal company a school bus thing and he's now a multi-billionaire and he gives millions of dollars to McMaster, a better university than Penn State. I'm, oh, what am I saying? I've got, Penn State's a good school. I, I was a chemistry professor, and I've lectured there. Not quite up to McMaster, but a good school. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great school. But listen, I, I want to tell you something. I, I don't think the brethren are going to like this, because it were going to give me some expenses, you know. But I am better off than Michael DeGroote. You know why? Because I have enough. And I talked to Michael's son, who became a Christian, and he said, "My dad feels he doesn't have enough yet." This poor man, giving his money away, feels he doesn't have enough. So I'm better off because I have enough, and he doesn't. I love this typo at the hymn at a rich, man, a rich man's funeral. They wanted to the say, bring me f- safe to Canaan Shore. Bring my safe to Canaan Shore. <laughs> can't do it. You can't take it with you. You know, it's a simple idea, very straightforward. Anyway, if you could, look, this gold paving stones in heaven. The, the reality is, they don't take American Express and your Platinum MasterCard at the gates of heaven. Malcolm's made it clear what, what's needed. The only thing you can take is what's already there. That's Christ's promise of forgiveness if you're a genuine Christian and your record of obedience and service. That's an eternal investment. So don't, don't think you can say. There was one rich man, by the way, whose wife promised she'd send his money with him and she did he died and she wrote a check for one and a half million dollars and put it right there in the casket with it but it's never been cashed we can't take our riches to heaven but listen it's possible to make a cross border transfer I did it I transferred our miserable 75 cent dollar into American dollars uh, and I can do it on the internet and we can do it not the cash But Jesus said so clearly, lay up treasure in heaven. And you won't need a pin number. You can do an eternal investment, and that's part of the challenge of this passage. And I've not even got to James' detail yet, but I want you to understand the importance of an eternal investment. And throughout Scripture, this is stressed. Now, let's get quickly into this passage and do some of the four wrong uses of money that James talked about. That's very important background teaching, but I must deal with these things James talks about in particular. Uh, there's one important detail. I don't have time to go into it, but it is a troublesome pas- 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 passage because... It offers no hope of repentance to these rich people, and I just want to mention this for you bible students i've been grappling with this, but it seems to me that James makes a distinction between the things he 's writing to believing Christians and words addressed to the rich who are not true believers and I say that because in chapter four eleven in chapter five seven in chapter five eight and in chapter five ten and in chapter five twelve. Five times, he says, listen, brothers, and by extension, sisters. He keeps saying, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. But right here, he just says, now listen, you who are rich. And I thought, well, it's an important distinction. Because the condemnation predicted for those who misuse riches and gain them unjustly offers no repentance. All that's offered is weeping, the promise that their life and riches will witness against them, eating their flesh like fire. The prediction is, look, you're fattening yourselves for slaughter. And he offers no hope of a solution, only judgment and condemnation. He's like a prophet in the Old Testament calling out for social justice. Now, none of that can be true for the Christian. We're accountable. Yes, we will be judged, but by God's grace, forgiveness and eternal blessing remain as a believer's final portion. So this passage is a bit troublesome. It clearly had in mind a broader community. And having said that, of course, you'd think, oh, well, that's good. But don't let these blunt words of warning go Roll off your back if you are covetous, if you are greedy, don't let them go unheeded. Because a Christian who misuses their assets will give account to the Lord for their failure in stewardship. You think of a think of tragic example of Anani- Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Think of Judas. What a dreadful act of treachery, seduced by money. So a major concern of James here is to remind us of the transience of wealth. That everything wealth can bring is subject to decay. You know, I've tried for years to burn this chapel down so you could have a nice new building on the insurance and I've failed every time. This is my one last attempt. I didn't think I'd uh, take any more money from my brother so we'll use this blank check. But you see, the thing is, it's gone. The, The thing about... This stuff. It's material. And material doesn't last. Nothing. Nothing. What James is trying to get it's trying to get that to cost to us. And he's saying look, you can't take hoarding wealth. Self acquisition is wrong. And he talks about decay. He said He talks about, of course, in the New Testament days, the main sources of wealth were corn, grain, and garments. Garments were the main source of wealth, gold and silver. He said, I don't care what it is. If if it's corn and grain, it's going to rot. If its garments are going to be eaten by moths, even impeachable things like gold and silver, they don't literally rust, of course, but they're doomed in the long haul to be lost. The idea of using rust for non-perishing metals emphasizes they might just as well be base metals for the good they'll do in the eternal stage. So what's the point in hoarding them? Hoarding, that's the first misuse of wealth that James deals with. He's saying, and I think he's he's remembering, of course, what his half-brother Jesus said. He's thinking of that uh, great story the man who was prosperous in Luke 12 and said I'll build barns and store all my crops and my goods. And that's a good plan. If you have lots of stuff and you've done well in business and you want to increase your capacity, hey, nothing wrong with building better storage space. The issue here was not that it was that he was hoarding it for himself. He said I've much goods for many years. I'll just take my ease. And, And verse 21 says so. He lays up treasure for himself. Self, and he's not rich toward God. You see, hoarding rather than using our resources is a misuse of wealth because, well, it means that we live like there's nothing at all except this life and its needs. If you hoard your money, it, it doesn't take into account God's clock or our accountability to, to God. It's a denial that we're called to be stewards. It's we're supposed to use what God's given us and use it wisely in the light of eternity. And hoarding's a denial of a true trust in God. It's, it's saying our confidence is more in the material. It's in the present life. But if you know for sure as a Christian that your real life, your eternal life is beyond this earth, that it's centered in heaven, hoarding's pointless. So he deals with that. And he does with something else then, exploiting others by underpaying them. Of course, he's thinking of wealthy landowners that employed farm workers. He said, well, I don't have a farm, I I don't employ people. But it's a general reminder that if you hire people, if you pay people to work for you, you've got to pay them properly and promptly. The laborer is worthy of his hire, said scripture and that applies whether it's a man hired to paint your house or, or a servant of the Lord. And it's a principle. It, throughout the Bible, Deuteronomy, way back, it says, don't take advantage of a hired worker who's poor and needy. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they're counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty of sin. We sometimes don't think this is sin. You want to push that 30-day credit limit, making him wait as long as possible so you can maximize the interest on your money. I heard of one Christian, he paid the plumber who worked for him late, but you know, he took the gospel tract in the, in the envelope. That's wrong. I'm, I'm weak on this. My, I, when it comes to thinking whether I'm exploiting anybody when I buy things, I'm weak. My daughter... Who's a full time Christian worker? She's very careful about the coffee she drinks. She said, You should always buy fair trade coffee. I said, Well, I buy it for flavor and best price. She said, No, some coffee growers exploit their workers. Now, I'm insensitive to that. And J- James is very quick to say, Look, He's reminding you, you may have a guy just tidying your kitchen, but he's had to buy the stuff. He may be struggling with a cash flow problem. uh, And and he's trying to remind us of that. He's saying this listen, this the Lord's aware of all that's happening. And he talks about the pain and difficulty we cause people by treating them unfairly. And he says, that will be judged. In fact, he said, their plight, the poor, who need that money that you're holding on to, reaches the ears of who? The Lord of hosts himself. So, what does that mean? The Lord of hosts? It it means that the all-powerful one, the one who possesses everything, that is the person that's going to respond to those who are alienated and needy. And how is he going to respond? Well, you know how the Lord responds. He didn't spare His only Son. Romans eight thirty-two. Freely gave Him up on our behalf, because, said Romans eight, He freely gives us all things. That's incredibly challenging. You know, the heart of the gospel is this: the Lord has paid the debts that were not His. We love to sing, "Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe." What a wonderful song. Yeah, he did pay the debt of sin. And you're his child if you're a Christian. How can you hold back because of a streak of meanness from paying the debts that are rightly yours? I mean, that's totally inconsistent with any claim to be a child of God. And if you're in fellowship with a generous God who freely gives, then you've got to be totally honest in the payment that you owe, including tax. I paid it as quick as I could, partly because I didn't want to pay any interest, but because of this principle. Now, there's a third one, and I, I'm going to have to cover these quickly, the self-indulgent lifestyle, man. Now, I have to be more reminded of what I said when you get to this. Remember, I said there's nothing wrong with being wealthy per se. It's not wrong for a Christian to live in a lovely home and to spend their money furnishing it in a way that allows... You to enjoy your home. I mean, they used their homes for house churches in the New Testament. And those who are wealthy enough to have a spacious, comfortable place, that was a place that Christians met. And to have a lovely home and money to buy what you really need, that's a great blessing. But you see, it must be used for the Lord. It's not to be used just for your own pleasure. You've got to see it as a gift from God to be enjoyed but to be used for the blessing of others. When you need a home for the Ezekiel Project, you say, God's blessed me with a home. Welcome. That's what he's talking about. It's not just for you. And it's inappropriate, if you're a believer, to spend all your resources, on your own comfort, and to live in that way, because we live in a needy world, and we serve a Savior, who for our sake became poor. And this verse condemns just pampering yourself with luxuries and overindulgence and living a lifestyle where you put yourself first and you spend money that goes way beyond your genuine needs. And you've got to think about this. Here's a question for you. There's a gold Ferrari outside Chanel in London. I was in London this summer letting Jane see where I came from, meeting my family. And you saw there's a big thing in London these days, luxury cars and gold-plated cars. I think, should a Christian own one of those? You've got to answer that for yourself. All I can say is, Jesus gives a vivid description of the way God will assess how we use what he's given us, and it will be judged by him. So i leave it with you. What James says in effect, uh, what a graphic way he says, it's good to be a thin cow on the day the butcher comes. <laughs> That's what he says. A thin cow... It's saved from slaughter. And he's reminding us of the tragedy of finishing up a fat cow. He's a graphic writer, James. Man, he should get literary back. He said, you don't want to, on the day of slaughter, it's a salutary moment, you don't want to be a fat cow because the reality is you can't to be judged. And God cares what you do with the things he's given you. You know, I I think James was thinking about what Jesus said. Probably think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. He'd heard all those stories from Jesus. Half-brother walked with Jesus. And Jesus said the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man also died and was buried. The man who had died nor the poor man it's a terrible warning and we can have no doubt that what the Lord wants us to do when it comes to using our resources he says you make an eternal investment and you'll never regret it now quickly last one, number four oppression you say oh, that's, not, that's nothing to do with me I think it's verses like this that made me realize that this is really aimed at rich people outside the Christian community I think he has in mind those wealthy landowners who could use the power of the courts to destroy powerless poor people because of this destruction of an unresisting victim for the sake of money. That's a very unlikely charge to level against a true Christian. And I thought about that, you know, because he talks about the the righteous one. You see, J- James is writing about the selfish rich slaying the unresisting righteous one. I thought maybe he's thinking about the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. The right Jesus is the true righteous one. He's the one who went as a lamb to be slaughtered. Maybe he had that in mind. I can't be sure. But I want to pick up on that very quickly because we know from Judah, John 12 that Judas kept the bag of money and he stole from it. And his suggestion that the ointment could have been sold and the money given to the poor is followed by this comment in Scripture, not that he cared for the poor, he wanted the money. And so, there's an example of a righteous one being betrayed and in betraying the righteous one, Judas insisted on a price. you remember how the Lord responded. Jesus, the truly and completely righteous one, puts up no resistance scripture says Christ suffered for our sins the just for the unjust Acts 3.18 you denied who? the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer I thought that is Jesus the righteous one I can't be sure that's what he had in mind whether he had that in mind or not I do know this that whether James means the Lord when he writes about the righteous one it's uncertain but the self is rich Like those who crucify Christ again. Because, you know, every wound wrongfully inflicted on a weak or vulnerable person is a wound inflicted on Christ. That's what the Bible says. So we have to conclude. Ah, time flies in Boulevard. But look at it. 30 coins for damnation. Money. And there's a woman who only had two copper coins. And she gets the Lord's commendation. And I look at that. And he said, this poor widow, she's put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And what did she get? Commendation. And that's the contrast. I mean, James is blunt. He said it's damnation or commendation. And it's a choice. And he's always clear. is James. We're going to see it next week. Yes and no. He said, don't mess about. Give clear answers. And I just pray this morning. And I've done this in a, in a quick way. I know that. There's a lot more in it. But I just pray the Lord will convict you to rightly use your resources for his commendation. That's what... Can you imagine a joy when the Lord commends you for that meager portion you gave with the right attitude? Jesus did say where well, your treasure is there where your heart will be and the challenge of the passage remains you know this morning I just opened my Bible I thought by chance but I know the Lord was speaking and I just opened it to Hebrews 13 5 and it said this keep your life free from the love of money and be content I hadn't got that verse in my sermon. And I thought, well, why? I'm going to tell him to do that. Why? He said, because God has said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's why. You've got the Lord. Is that enough? May God help us to be stewards and take this passage seriously ready, like our brother, to give it for the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. We just pray you will help us to obey it. This is a challenging passage. You brought to uh, our attention today our responsibility to use what you've given us for your glory, and we pray you will help us to do it for the glory of Christ, in his name.